Are we on? User error. I turned it the wrong way. Sorry, guys. You can laugh. Come on. I mean, this, I've been doing this for how long, and I didn't know which way to turn the microphone. That's funny. Okay. My name's Eric, and uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, starting a new series in discipleship. And uh, we're excited about that. And uh, before I kind of walk into that as you're getting ready, just I uh, want to invite all the men, if you haven't seen outside or seen uh, on uh, the notes sheet, that we have a men's camp out. And what, what's going on with that is men don't typically like to talk, and they're bad at fellowship. True, right? And so what helps guys? Having an activity to do that gives them an excuse to talk, so then they can tell people they're doing an activity not talking with another guy, right? So it's your opportunity to, to meet other guys, just to see how they've um, living their life, how they love Jesus. And kind of as you talk about discipleship, part of it's like, I don't even know anyone. And so it's getting to know other men who have lived maybe in your footsteps or going through the same thing. And sons will be there as well. And an opportunity just to get to know other guys in the church and uh, go deeper in your faith. So we encourage you to do that. Signups will be available right as you walk out. And it really pairs well with what we're trying to do uh, with discipleship. Second part of this is, you know, we're intentionally trying to add a third layer of what we do here at LBC. Um, we feel like we have really worked hard and appreciate the commitment we've seen to Sunday mornings um, for God's people to gather and worship and hear from his word. Um, and then also we've seen a great commitment in our church to be in small groups to study God's word, whether that's a class, a, a men's Bible study, a woman's or a life group. Like, man, we're seeing people come together. This third layer is more of an intimate one-on-one -on -one opportunity for you to look people in the eyes and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. How do you do this as a Christian father, Christian mother, employee? What does that look like? And so to offer that next layer. So the, the couple things we're trying to do is give you an opportunity to sign up. Maybe you're like, you know what? I feel like, you know, I've been discipled. I could disciple someone. Or I would like to be discipled or I'd like to be trained because we'll have a class going on now during this hour or uh, at the end of this in six weeks. So if you fill that out and you turn it in the offering boxes in the back, we have offering boxes there people don't know about, um, we'll get you in a database. And as we conclude, uh, our heart is to have a culture where we you know, help make disciples. So that's our heart with that. So before we dig in, we want to define terms. You know, what is a disciple? It gets talked about a lot. Um, a simple definition is it means it's a learner, you know, but who are you learning? What are you learning about? So here's a quote, it says it well. It says, a disciple was one who followed a teacher with the intent of becoming like them. A disciple follows the teacher to learn from him, observe how he lives, and then learn to live like him. That is what Jesus called his disciples to do and what he calls you, us, to do. Follow him for the purpose of becoming more like him. And so what we're seeing is Jesus says, hey, follow me. And we saw that in Matthew 28, but at the end of it, it says, and teach them all that I have commanded you. And so we want to help each other learn all that Christ has commanded and follow that exactly how he wants us to do. And so we're going to walk through these six weeks is what does it look like to be a disciple? So we get an accurate picture and then take those tools and then press into it uh, with one another on a daily, daily basis. So we're going to look at three actions of a disciple, right? To love, to bear, and to count. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right into Luke 14. Uh, dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, it tells us how to live. It warns us. It tells us the truth about who you are and what you've done. 
Uh, it's our prayer that you would anchor our hearts in this text. Um, that the, the full weight of what it means to love you and follow you faithfully um, would be etched in our heart, that it would be uh, forever implanted in our heart, that we could always look back and say, this is what it means to follow you. I love you. I will follow you at any cost. And so it's our deep prayer your word would speak to us this morning, that it would be your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this, this is probably one of the hardest texts you're going to hear in the Bible. Um, it, it's kind of, wow. And so what we want to do is just walk through it plainly. Um, and, and I think what I see happening in, in American Christianity is, is we often talk about God loves you, he forgives you, and we don't actually talk about, and this is what he calls you to. And so what you find are people, they, they, they have a mountaintop experience, they love Jesus, they love being forgiven, and then life gets hard and they're like, no one told me about this, which is actually antithetical to how Jesus approaches things. He starts off, hey, you're going to be my disciple? Let's start with this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't mix his words there, does he? I've learned the only happy people in this passage are teenagers. Because they're like, look, I get to hate my father and mother, right? It's like right there. Okay, so let's clear that up really quick. So hate in this, in this context um, does not mean evil in what we would typically think it means. or Because God clearly tells us in other places, don't, have, don't hate your enemies, right? Love your enemies. Pray for them. Um, bless those who persecute you. So it's not evil or malice. What, what he's simply, simply trying to say in, in an idiom type format is, you know what? Love Jesus more, right? Love them less. Hate literally means in Greek to love less. Love Jesus more than you love anything and anyone. And in this context, you have to understand these are weighty words. You know, in our context, we have a divorce rate of over 50%. And so to hate your spouse might sound really easy for some people, right? But you have to think in a Jewish context, the, the cost of following Jesus is you're going to take a Jewish tradition that was followed for hundreds of years, passed down, and, and all of a sudden you're going to change and follow Christ. You're denouncing the family history. And he's saying, you're, you're going to have to love me more than you love them because you're going to have to give up all of the inheritance the family dinners, the family, the job, the humility in the town, all of it. You have to love me more. And so to make that clear, that's where he starts. And so it's important we think through this, like, man, we don't necessarily have this immediate cost in our culture where it's like, if you become a Christian, we're going to kill you. We don't see that, do we? But there are prices to be paid for being a Christian. And this passage touches deeply on them is that a lot of those will be family relationships. That if you're going to uphold Christ, it may cost you someone you love. J.C. Ryle puts it this way on this passage. He says, he must be prepared to offend his family rather than offend Christ. That simple statement is huge. Thousands of Christians will bless God on the last day that they had relatives and friends who, who chose to displease them rather than Christ. He's saying right now you might not see this, but one day there are going to be people that will thank you for choosing Christ over them. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Yeah. 
it's another way to say it. it says to be a disciple means to detach oneself from the entanglements that come with household, family, and possessions. So to detach. So it's not saying you don't love your kids, you don't love your spouse. It's saying that you love Christ more. There's nothing more you love, you value, you worship than Jesus. And so what I do see in our culture that immediately would apply is that kids, what will happen is they will grow up in church and then we send them off to college and they inevitably will take one of the commands in the Bible, whether it's, you know, premarital sex, smoking marijuana, getting drunk all the time, living with their girlfriend, not their spouse, um, changing gender, homosexuality, whatever it is, they will, they will champion that position. And what the parent will do is say, well, I have a good kid. I love my kid. I support their choices if that makes them happy. And that moment, they're choosing to love their kid more than they're choosing to love Christ. Do we see that in our culture? Big time. Okay. And so here's the question we have to ask in this passage is, how does, how does my kid being good allow me to change what Jesus says? When is it ever acceptable to change Christ? And am I ready that one day my son, my daughter, your brother, your sister, your spouse might see the culture and turn with them? Are you willing to say that's wrong? The Bible doesn't say that. Remember all that Christ commanded. That's the Great Commission. So teaching through these things, are we willing to say, you might not like me, but I'd rather honor, I'd rather love, I'd rather commit to Christ and potentially lose the relationship I have with this kid, with this family member, because I love Jesus. Now, you look at this passage, it talks a lot about, you know, relatives and family, but don't miss at the end of 26, he says that hates even his own life. And look how the verse ends, cannot be my disciple. That's literally, are we willing even to deny our own passions, our own pleasures, our own comforts, and say, no, I love Christ more than even doing what makes me happy, what makes me satisfied? And are we willing to tell our children, you're wrong? I don't care if it makes you happy. That's not what Jesus said. Is it more loving to tell your kid, hey, I support you in your choices, even if it means disagreeing with Jesus? Or is it more important to say, you know what, Jesus is right and you're wrong and you need to be like him? What's the more loving statement? To be like Christ, isn't it? And so often it's like, well, no, I don't want to lose that relationship. It's like, well, because I care more about my kids than I care about Jesus. I care more about my spouse than I care about Jesus. And what Jesus is saying inevitably, if there comes a point in the road in which you have to choose to be my disciple, you have to choose me. Otherwise, you, verse 26, cannot be my disciple. It's pretty blunt, isn't it? Now let's walk through some maybe some easier parts of this. It's not saying you don't love your kids. It's not saying you don't love your spouse. You don't love your, your, your family. It's saying that you love Christ more. Think of it this way. Do you love the people you work with? I hope so. Maybe even you love your job. 
but should that love be equal to the love you have for your spouse? I hope not, right? Some of you are hitting your spouse, told you, right? You love that place too much. The love you have for your spouse should far outweigh any love you have for your job. You covenanted with your spouse. You committed forever till death to his part and before God and man. That love should far outweigh the love of work. Is this fair? So saying, in comparison, that love has to far outweigh because you will need that gravity of love to look a loved one in the eye and say, that is not what the Bible teaches and I cannot support that decision. Because of that weightiness of love does not exist. We will follow the loved one down the road that Jesus simply didn't teach and simply didn't tell. Now, this, this also, hopefully we understand. Some people, we present a very utopian view of Christ and the church. That, that word didn't fall with all of you, okay? Um, a very Disneyland view of Christianity, right? Like we got the fairies and everyone's smiling and there's pixie dust and, right? Always a happy day. You're not reading your Bible if that's what you think. Okay? And we send kids off to college and we go to camps and they think this and then they get blinded. Yeah, that's not the teachings of Jesus. Okay, let's take a little bit more depth in this. Matthew 10, 34 through 36 says this. says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. Let that sit on you for a second. Our world somehow thinks and Christians think we're here to make the world a better place. And we're here to bring peace among men. What does the text directly say? I have not come to do that. Right? Yeah, if, if you're a social justice person, I get it, but read the text. Get mad at it and argue with it. Okay? Because the next part says, I have not come to bring peace. Is this fair? Okay? Not making this up. But the sword. For I have come to set man against father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. They're like, I told you that was in the Bible. 36, and a person, right? Person's enemies will lose, will, so will be those of his own household. Will be those of his own household. What is he saying? I'm going to come and people who choose me will be in war with people who do not. Because Jesus tells us he's the only way to God. Believing his payment for our sin is the only way not to go to hell. Jesus tells us marriage is between man and woman. Jesus tells us there's a literal hell. Jesus tells us God's the creator who created man and woman. Right? Jesus tells us these things. And he's saying, as you follow me, it will cause war amongst people because they will hate you. They don't want to be told what they're doing is wrong. They don't want to be told how to spend their money, how to raise their kids, how to be married, how to spend their free time. They don't want to be under the authority of God. They will hate you. They will fight you. There will be war. Jesus is pretty specific, isn't he? So we are not to think. So why did Jesus come? To bring peace between man and God. Because man is at war with God. That man wants to be his own God. And God says the only way you can no longer be an enemy is to accept Jesus as the payment for your sin and become a child of God under the authority of Christ. And he's saying that singular decision will cause war in your families with those you love. This is what it means 
to be a disciple. See, we don't, we don't say this up front before people become a Christian sometimes, huh? Yeah. And Paul later will, will magnify the depth of what we're saying. Philippians 3.8 says this. It says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's how Paul worships in prison because compared to Christ, everything else just isn't as good. So it's to be a disciple means that we love Christ so much, everything else in comparison just fails. And here's the beauty of what we have to realize is when we try to, you know, we want to love our kids, we want to pour into them. Here's the thing. We can't save them, can we? And here's the thing we have to understand. They didn't save us either. Do we realize that? They didn't go to the cross and pay for our sins. Your spouse didn't go to the cross and pay for your sins. Mom and dad didn't go to the cross and pay for your sins. Christ went to the cross and paid for the sins. That's why he gets the supreme love, value, and worship. Only he deserves it. Now, on the flip side of this, this is the beauty. Only Jesus knows every sin you've committed, knows the vile thoughts you've thought, the things you don't tell people at Thanksgiving, right? the things that go on in your mind that you never share. He knows those things and still loves you and still died for you. Therefore, he's the only one worthy of this type of love. Is that fair? The other part of this we have to realize is kids in the Bible, they're raised to leave and cleave to someone else. So the greatest thing we can model for them is that the greatest value in their life should be Jesus. They should know, hey, I love you, but I love Christ more. And don't be shocked when I tell you you're wrong and you need to be like Christ because that's the standard in this house. And see, what happens is when we try to be Jesus to our kids or our kids become our Jesus, when the kids go away, how many empty nesters say, I don't know who I am? I don't, because my kids are gone. That was who I am. And you say, no, no, you're my disciple. That's who you are. You're a child of God. That's your identity. That's your That is your one drive in life, your supreme love in all of life. Everything else flows from that. That's what it means to love him more than you love anything else. Now, with that love, this is important, we have to see 27, we will have to bear our own cross. He's saying, look, be prepared. There is a suffering that comes with being a Christian. Okay, And and I need to say this. If If you're being, you know, rebuked or hated because you're a Democrat or a Republican, that's not bearing your cross, okay? Let's just be clear with that, right? Your political, social, medical agenda is not bearing the cross. Bearing the cross is Christ is the only way to God. You will go to hell without receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is what God says marriage is. This is what God says about money. When you stand underneath his authority, and you are persecuted or hated or rejected for that, then you are bearing a cross. And he says, you need to know you're going to have to do this. Or again in 27, 
cannot be my disciple. So he sets the bar really high. Now think about this. I don't want to overwhelm. Some of us are like, I'm not there. That's okay. But we have to move towards there. The disciples early on, look at Peter. He's being rebuked by Christ. He's called Satan. He rejects Christ three times. And then in Acts 2, he gives a sermon that saves more people in one day than Jesus did in his whole ministry. Do we see the growth in there? He's preparing them from the very beginning. This will cost you. You better love me more than anyone. Because if you don't, you will not bear that suffering and that pain. You will fall, you will wither, and nothing will come. See, this is when we are are telling your kids, you're telling people about Jesus, it's good to use texts like this. You're like, Eric, that's a terrible idea. No, it's a great idea. Why? Because it's a t- what's terrible is when we send kids off to camp and they think all, all their problems are going to go away because they're loved and they're forgiven and they have no clue that people are still going to hate them, not like them. They can still get cancer. They can still get rejected. People are still going to call them ugly and they still have problems. Right? They come down and they're like, that's not what I signed up for because we don't like to be honest. We don't. And so it's very important to say there is a cost. That's what Jesus is so beautiful. He just lays it out in these verses. Love me more, bear the cross, count the cost, renounce everything. It's like, wow, it's a heck of a sermon, isn't it? Okay. So thinking through, you know what? I might get rejected from being on a board. I might not get a job. My kids might get made fun of. My kids might be kicked out of a class. I might not get invited certain places. I might lose friendships. I might lose family because I bear the name Christ, Christian. I uphold, this is why we taught through Titus, right? Hold the trustworthy word as taught. That's why we're talking about discipleship in Titus, right? Older women pass it down to younger women. It doesn't mean you're an old woman. It just means you're older than the other girl, right? So think through that, right? Men pass this down. This is discipleship. Why? So that when you come to the moment, when you have to bear the cross, you've been preparing for that. You've wrapped your mind around how much God loves you, the work of Christ done for you. And you're able to, as Paul say, it's rubbish compared to him. I love Christ more than anything. And if that means losing you, if that means losing this job, losing this school, losing this, whatever that is, I will do it because I have been preparing for this. And we're not shocked. Here's what I think happened. COVID happened and all the Christians got found out. Because we didn't count the cost. That's the third point. I want you to catch this in the verse. I want you to see this. Okay, let's go to 28. Okay, so, so bearing it. So he tells you, look, love me more, bear the cross, Now count the cost of those two decisions, right? 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? This is a fair argument from Jesus, right? 29. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him. I feel like for the last two years, people have mocked Christianity. Because we were not ready to bear the cost of being a Christian. 
we had a lot of spiritual houses unfinished. You ever wonder why there's buildings that don't get finished? Usually the answer I hear is it was too expensive. Christianity got too expensive for people to bear and they abandoned ship. And the world mocked us for it. We cannot be mocked again. We cannot. We must be ready to count that following Jesus could cost everything you love and hold dear. And you must be ready to say, I love Christ more. I will not be mocked. As we sit and think through what we've gone through the last couple of years, think what we have taught an unbelieving world and why are they mocking us. You love Jesus until it got hard. He must be real special. They took away your freedom and you ran. They made school hard and you quit. They made your job hard and you quit. They took away your whatever it is and you quit. You left the house unfinished. That must be a real amazing Jesus. That's why they mocked the unfinished house. You can do it. Then why'd you, why'd you build it in the first place? This is why Jesus says, know what you're getting into. Count the cost. Know what it will be. So that when you get on that day, you will be ready. Because it is a powerful testimony when a disciple says, take it, I love him more. Take it, I love him more. That preaches, doesn't it? Yeah. The other way, when we fold, when we say, oh yeah, just whatever you want, child, I'll follow you. Oh yeah, we don't need to go to church. We don't need to read our Bible. Just whatever, whatever is easy, whatever is happy, whatever fits the world's narrative, let's do that. And oh yeah, Jesus wasn't really worth it, was he? In the end, you wanted to be just like me, but you wanted to think you were better than me, so you hid under the name Christian so you could feel like you're better, but not act better. Is that kind of what we're seeing? That's why Jesus is up front. Count it. Count through it. Are you willing to walk away? Maybe your child will never speak to you again. Maybe your mother, your father, your job will never let you back. Are you willing to do that? He comes down to a bookend here in 33. So, therefore, any one of you who does not catch it, renounce all that he has. Catch the next word. Cannot be my disciple. And, and these are not one-time words. Okay? It's not count once. It's not hate or love less once. It's not bear something once, right? It's a present, it's a verb, present, indicative, active, meaning it's an ongoing, you're always gonna be bearing, you're always gonna be counting, you're always going to have to love Christ more daily, over and over and over and over again. But the beauty of this is that God knows you don't get, you don't get to that maturity overnight. So we need to start counting and preparing now so that God is not mocked in the future uh, chaos that's in front of us. Because right? there's chaos in front of us. Can we agree on that? And if we are not spiritually ready, we're going to be mocked. We cannot 
send our kids off to college to be torn apart from professors and other kids without warning them. There's a spiritual war. You're going to be hated. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be judgmental. You're not going to be invited because you love Christ. And you have to look that child in the eyes and say, it is worth all the rejection. There's nothing greater than loving Jesus. Because if they can't believe that from your eyes, whose eyes will they believe? Is that fair? Of course it is. It's biblical. Okay? That's discipleship. But this is what it takes. It takes two people sitting down and saying, hey, I don't think I could love Christ more than my kids. It's important for you to see another man, another woman say, I've been there. My son was an addict. We had to tell him he couldn't come here until he got through that addiction. We kicked him out of our house because that's not what Christ allows. We chose Christ and it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. And what's cool is if you, certain relationships, you'll see, you know what? And my son or my daughter, prodigal son, came back. And if we would have let them think that they can continue in addiction and be a Christian, they would have had a false Jesus. We're so thankful we towed the line and taught them the right thing. You need that. I need that to see other men and women who have parented, who have dealt with jobs, who have dealt, dealt with grandparenting, dealt with finances, dealt with tragedy, dealt with cancer, and say, I choose Christ. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what Jesus is getting at. It is a hard thing to do. That's why Jesus says, I'm sending you a helper. Holy Spirit, when, before he sends out the disciples, he's like, I'm going to help you guys. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Then you guys are going to go and you're going to start a church. And these churches, you guys are going to help each other. Because the world is going to pound you. Satan's going to attack you. You need to count these costs. So let's think through some questions. Uh, you know what? Let's think through Job before we get to the questions. Job's a good way to summarize this. I love Job. And Job 121, he says this. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. It's very blunt, right? I came with nothing. I leave with nothing, right? I didn't come with anything. I can't take anything. Therefore, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We love to bless the Lord when he gives, not so much when he takes. Is this true? To have that moment like Job means we are constantly preparing our hearts and our minds to be ready on this day for that day where we say, okay, Lord, take it. Sometimes in tears, but we say, I trust you. I love you more. You're worth following. You're worth losing whatever this is. I will lose it. I will bless you. I trust you. That's what an unbelieving world needs to see. And that's what struggling Christians need to see. They need to see that it's possible to give up parts of your life that seem impossible to give up. Because Jesus is worth following and is greater than whatever it is you're giving up. Even your children, even your spouse. Because Christ loves you more. And he is worth your love, loyalty, and devotion. Okay, now let's walk through some questions. Question one, what is a disciple? And how are you doing with being a disciple? Remember, 
learner, follower, teaching all that he commanded. You're, you're constantly learning what did Christ command. And you're trying to be like Christ constantly. Right? It's an ongoing forever action. Two, how are you doing with making other disciples? Right? This is something that disciples make disciples. Jesus disciples them, then he sends them out. And sometimes your stage of life, this just might mean you're, you're discipling your kids. You get it? But Titus, Timothy, New Testament is clear. You pass it down. You help other people be ready to count the cost, bear the cross, and be faithful in the hard moments. You remind them to celebrate in the good moments, right? So how are you doing with that? Three, do you have any idols in your life that you need to dethrone? Is there something you love more than you love Jesus? Because there will come a day when you have to choose. Will you choose Christ? Will you choose him? And start praying now. Start praying now. I need to be able to let that go. And even better, I need to find someone maybe who struggled with this. How did they let that go? How did they do that? Right? Four, is there an area of suffering that scares you? Figure out what that is. Count the cost of what that would be. The other side of counting the cost is, what is it going to take for you to prepare? How often are you going to need to read your Bible? How often are you going to need to pray? How often are you going to need to repent? How often are you going to need to praise the name of the Lord so that you're ready in a hard situation and it's not foreign for you to praise, listen, understand Christ? Okay? And then five, what does bearing your cross look like in your life? And how can you make sure you're bearing your cross daily? Meaning you're ready, you're spiritually prepared. If, if, if these people reject me, if they take this away, you're trying to kind of spend each day open-handed. Whatever you want, Lord, it's yours. I love you the most. I renounce it all. Verse 33. Okay, we're going to move into a time of worship. And every once in a while, we get these beautiful gifts in life where there is a story um, behind a worship song that help us see the deep truths happening within the song. Um, this particular song is called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It was written about 150 years ago. It started with a revival in Wales. And there's people coming to know the Lord all over. And so the Baptist over there sent out missionaries. And these missionaries went to India. And they're trying to share Christ with the people of India to much rejection and shame. And then there becomes a family that accepts Christ. They say, I want to follow Jesus. He died for my sins. The man's name is Nok Sen in India. And so the chief of the village finds out that someone has abandoned ship, has changed directions, has a different God, different savior. And the chief demands that the man renounce his faith or he will take away his family. And the man's response had, starts with, I have decided to follow Jesus. Children are taken away. Chief, enraged, looks at his wife and says, we'll take her life next. The man responds, though none will join me, still I will follow. Chief gets even more angry. Takes away the spouse. He looks at him. He says, you, what if I kill you? I'm going to kill you if you don't renounce your faith. And the man 
says, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. The chief takes Noxen's life. And as the way the story goes, the chief is in disbelief. He says, how can a man lose his family, his spouse, and himself for a man he never met from 2,000 years ago? And he says, that man must be great. I want to follow that man. And he becomes a Christian. The rest of the story goes that the chief then told all the village, and the whole village accepts Christ. And now the song of the Gararo tribe of Assam is, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's the invitation we're invited to in Luke 14, is to follow Jesus, the world behind me, the cross before me. Though none might join me, I still will follow. No turning back. That needs to be the cry of our heart. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll sing. God, we love you and we praise you that we have a great God who sent his son to die for our sins, who loves us loves us dearly, and it's our prayer that we would reciprocate that love through obedience, through worship, through following you, that there would be nothing that ever gets in the way of us following you, loving you, worshiping you, that we would never be so afraid, so attached to anything that we would not freely give it up for you, that we could sing with pure hearts, that we have decided to follow Jesus. That is our prayer. Please be with us as we sing. May you be pleased with our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.